0: Well, good morning. My name is Shane Drury, and I am blessed to be the high school pastor here at Baylife Church. And uh, here at Baylife, we hope that you had a Merry Christmas with your family this last week. And now that Christmas has passed and the new year is coming upon us, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, in these kind of days between Christmas and the new year, it's it's a good time to kind of pause and reflect And think about maybe some of the things that happened in the last year, and think about maybe what's to come in the next year. But again, also to pause and reflect and think about some of the the deep things in life, and ask some of the big questions some deep and spiritual questions. Questions like Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hot dog a sandwich? It's a great question. We've been debating this question in the high school ministry for about a year now. And the answer, obviously, is no. A hot dog's not a sandwich, it's a hot dog, right? But there are other questions out there, great questions that I often find myself pondering. Another one is, where is the internet, right? Here's the thing that we all use, like millions of us use every single day, but, but really, where is the internet? I mean, is it in some random guy's garage in Sefner? Is the guy's name Gary? Does Gary wake up every morning and go to his garage and turn the internet on? Can Gary turn the internet off? I don't know. Where is the internet? Another one for some of my northern friends, perhaps. When the snow melts, where does the white go? This is perplexing. Right? We have these giant mountains of white snow, and then it gets warmer and it melts, but where does the white go? I have no idea. There are a lot of why questions that we like to think about and we like to ask. For example, why does McDonald's not serve hot dogs? Right? It's because it's not a sandwich, it's a hot dog. Think about it, right? Another one. Why are there not more kids in the world named Gary? That's what I wonder. I've been doing student ministry for thousands and have had thousands of students, but I've only had one Gary. We need more Gary children in the world, I think, don't we? Um, From Florida, being from Florida, maybe we ask this why question. Why does Mickey Mouse and and Donald Duck wear shirts but not pants? I I have no idea. Why is it difficult, and maybe even impossible, to breathe out your nose and your mouth at the same time? People are trying it right now. (laughs) Why is it very difficult to say toy boat five times fast? I have no idea. And one of my favorites that I I, I like to, to sit and stare and think about is why, when you're on an airplane, and you're going hundreds of miles an hour, when you throw a ball up in the air, Does the ball not hit you in the face? Right? I mean, the ball is is up in the air, suspended in midair, and the plane is moving forward like hundreds of miles an hour. That ball should come hit you in the face. You know what I'm saying? Don't tell me about cabin pressure and things like that. It It just doesn't make sense to me. And I ask, why? See, we're curious people. We're curious people, and we often want to know why things are the way they are. We also want to know why things happen to us. Uh, We we really want to know why things happen to us, especially when trials come into our lives and when difficult things come into our lives. And we ask the question, why? And we often ask God, why? Why, God? Why would you allow this to happen to me or come into my life? Maybe questions like, why, God? Why did you allow my mother to die when I was so young? Why, God, why, why doesn't my father care about me? Why, God, why, why don't I have any good friends? Why, God, when I, I so desperately long to be married, do I remain single? Why, God, can my husband and I not have children? Why, God, why, why was my child born with this disability? Why, God, when I've worked so hard, did I lose my job? Why, God, why do I have this cancer or this disease? Why, God, why did I lose the one that I love so dearly? And when we experience this pain, And when we experience this confusion, we often find ourselves asking why. And sadly, at times, we even begin to question God. We question his goodness. We question his love for us. We question his plan for our lives. And at times, we even question if he's really there. Well, this morning, as we wrap up this series called Emmanuel, God with Us, I hope you'll be reminded and encouraged to remember that God is with us in our confusion. And not only is he with us, he is for us. And he is working on our behalf for his glory and for our joy. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 9 with me. John chapter 9 is where we're going to be camping today. Before we dive into the text, it's always good to get a little bit of context about the book in general, and it's also good to get some context about the specific passage uh, and where it falls within the book. And so we know the book of John is written by the Apostle John, who was one of the closest companions to Jesus while he was on earth. And John very clearly tells us why he has written this book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, this is what John says to us about why he has written this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John tells us, the reason that I have written this book and the reason that you're about to read the words and hear the words that you're about to hear this morning is so that you may know and believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is God. And so that you may hear that and believe that and know that and trust in Him and have life, true life, abundant life on this earth. In life eternal with God our Father in heaven forever. This is big stuff. Big stuff we'll be looking at this morning. And then in John chapter 8, which precedes the text that we're going to be looking at today, we see that Jesus is in conflict with the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious leaders of the day. Jesus is in conflict with them. And in one of these conversations, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. And then later on in the chapter in John 8:58, uh, the conflict escalates when Jesus clearly declares himself to be God. He says, "Before Abraham was, I am." And he ascribes to himself the most holy and personal name of God, I am. And upon hearing this, the Pharisees, they pick up stones to try to stone Jesus for committing blasphemy, for declaring himself to be God. But Jesus is able to escape. And that brings us to John chapter 9, which we'll be looking at today. Now, John chapter 9 is, is, is really just one long story. It's, it's around 41 verses, and we don't really have time to, to walk through and look at every single verse this morning. So what I, I want to do first is to kind of give you an overview, a summary of the story, and then we're going to zoom in and focus on just a few verses in this story in John chapter 9. And so uh, what we see in John chapter 9 is Jesus and his disciples, they come upon a blind man who was blind from from birth. And, and And Jesus is going to demonstrate that he indeed is the light of the world. And he's also going to provide some powerful clarity for our times of confusion through this encounter. So Jesus and his disciples, they encounter a a blind man. The text says that he was blind from birth. And not only was he blind, but he was a beggar as well. And very interestingly, Jesus spits on the ground, and he makes mud, and he takes the mud, and he puts it on the blind man's eyes, and he tells the blind man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash the mud off his eyes so he can receive his sight. Now, the reason that Jesus did this was likely to very intentionally violate the man-made laws of the Pharisees for the Sabbath, all right? Saying that men should not create brick or clay or mud on the Sabbath. And Jesus is doing this to draw the Pharisees into a conversation, into a conflict. So the man responds to Jesus' command and he goes to the pool of Siloam, and he washes the mud off his eyes and miraculously he receives sight after being blind his entire life. Now through a series of events, the blind man ends up being kind of questioned and interrogated by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they want to know how were you once blind, but now you can see. And the blind, formerly blind man, tells the Pharisees that this man Jesus, he made mud and he put it on his eyes and he told him to go wash. And he washed and now he could see. And immediately some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. This man is a sinner for he breaks the law of the Sabbath. But some of the other Pharisees said, but how can this be? How can this man be a sinner when he does such miraculous things? And see, the Pharisees were confused, and the Pharisees were divided, and Jesus' plan was working. And, And some of the Pharisees at this point, they didn't truly believe that the man was once blind. So they take the blind man, and they find his parents, and they take him to his parents, and they ask The formerly blind man's parents, they asked him, one, is this your son? Two, was he born blind? And three, if so, how can he now see? And the parents said, yes, this is our son. And yes, he was born blind, but we do not know how he can now see. See, his parents were fearful that if they gave credit to, to Jesus, that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And so they held back. Well, the Pharisees still were not happy with the answers that they were getting, so they go one more time to the blind man and they interrogate him again and they say, tell us, how were you once blind, but now you can see? And the man says once again, it was through Jesus who was, who is from God. And upon hearing this, the Pharisees scoffed at him and they rejected him and they threw him out of the synagogue. Upon hearing this, Jesus returned to the man who was once blind and he finds him and Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, please tell me who he is so I can believe in him. And Jesus says, you have seen him, and you are speaking with him now. And the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worships Jesus. Incredible. And so Jesus brings light to the darkness when the blind man receives his sight, when the blind man sees his need for a savior, and when the blind man trusts in Jesus to be his savior. But the Pharisees, who could see physically with their eyes, they remained in spiritual darkness. They remained spiritually blind, unable to see who Jesus was and their need for a Savior. And so that story kind of sets us up for the few verses that we're going to look at in John chapter 9. And here's kind of the first main point that I think we all need to hold on to this morning and to realize, and that is that we are all blind beggars in need of a Savior. Each and every single one of us, we are all blind beggars in need of a Savior. And so, would you look to John chapter 9, verse 1 with me. This is what it says. As he passed by, he being Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And so Jesus and his disciples are moving and they see this man who is blind from birth, the text says. And we also know, as we've already discussed, that the man was a beggar as well. Now it would be easy to hear the story and to look at this verse and to read the story and to simply think, Wow, that's so great that Jesus had compassion on this poor blind beggar. And you know what? We too should probably have compassion on the poor blind beggars of the world. And we should. But what we'd be missing here, what we'd be missing and and what the Pharisees missed as well, is that we too are poor blind beggars beggars desperately in need of the compassion and the grace and the mercy of jesus see we are blind we are blind because of our sin we're unable to see the greatness and majesty of god we're unable to see our need for jesus And we are beggars. Although we have nearly everything the world has to offer, right? Especially being Americans. And yet our heart still longs for more and more and more. And we want and we want and we're discontent. And we have this deep spiritual need within us that we cannot fill on our own. We are all blind beggars. This reminds me of a, an, an, inter, an interview I heard one time uh, on 60 Minutes with Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. Now, uh, Tom Brady is kind of a, a love him or, or hate him guy for a lot of people. Uh, we know Pastor Mark loves him because he plays for a Boston team, right? Um, I actually really like Tom Brady. I think he's, he's a, a hardworking guy and, and man, he's, he's a fierce competitor. But whether you you like Tom Brady or not, what we cannot deny is that Tom Brady is a very successful guy. I mean, here's a guy who has won four Super Bowls, who who many people would say is the greatest quarterback of all time. He's had incredible career success. And here is a guy who many people would say is very handsome. He's married to one of the most famous supermodels in the world, and he has several children that he loves and adores. And here's a guy who has made millions and millions of dollars throughout his football career and through endorsements, and he has all the supercars, all the mansions, all the possessions that a person could ever want. Here's a guy who has really everything the world has to offer. But in a very honest and transparent moment, in an interview on 60 Minutes, Tom Brady says, Why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and all these things and still think there has to be something greater out there for me? There has to be more than this. And the interviewer says to him, Well, what is it? And Tom Brady pauses. He looks at the floor, kind of, and he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Here is a man who has everything the world has to offer, yet he is a blind beggar. He's blind. He's blind to his need for Jesus, and he's begging. He has all the world has to offer, but he's begging for more, saying there has to be something greater out there for me. And if Tom Brady, the man who has everything, is not content, we are fools to think that we will ever be content with the things of the world that we have. See, the lot of Tom Brady and the lot of the blind man is the lot of us all. We are all blind beggars, desperately in need of a Savior. The Pharisees didn't see this. The Pharisees were blinded by their pride and by their self-sufficiency. And so question for you this morning, do you see your true condition? Do you see that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior? The only way to see is by the power of the Holy Spirit to confess your sin to God, to believe in Jesus and to trust in him as the blind man did if you've never put your faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I hope and pray that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that you will see your need today and do that. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that you and that I, that we would continually see that we are blind beggars, desperately in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ each and every day. And we would depend on him and not ourselves. I think the second second main thing we can learn from the text that we're going to look at today. The second main thing is that we can trust God in our struggles. Even when we don't understand things, even when things are confusing, we can trust God in our struggles. Would you look back at the text with me? And so, verse 1 said that, that Jesus uh, saw a man that was blind from birth. And in verse 2, this is what it says His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the disciples here. They ask the why question. They ask the big why question. Jesus, why was this man born blind? Jesus, why has this man had to suffer for year after year, 10, 20, maybe 30 years as a blind man? Why was this man born blind? And they ask, was it because of the sin of his parents or was it because of his own sin that he was born blind? See, this was a common belief of the day, that blindness was the result of divine judgment by God for sin. And so it either had to be the sin of the parents or somehow the sin of the baby in the womb of his mother that led this man to be blind. And because it was believed that blindness was the result of sin and divine judgment, at this time, the blind were often despised and the blind were often rejected. And that's likely why this man in our story had become a beggar because probably his own family had disowned him and rejected him and abandoned him. I don't think we can can really probably underestimate the difficulty and the trial of the struggle that this man experienced in his years of life, being blind, being lonely, being rejected, and being despised. And although the text doesn't say it, I, I have to think, I have to think, at times the blind man asked God, Why? Why, God? Why did you make me this way? Why was I born blind? And, and, and perhaps when he was very young and he realized for the first time that he would never see the face of his parents and that he would never see his own face, he asked, why? Why, God? And when other children were playing and laughing and making friends and he sat in the darkness, he asked God, why? Why, God? And when other young men were were learning crafts and getting jobs, he was unable to get a job and became a beggar and couldn't provide for himself. And he asked, why, God? And when other young men were, were getting married and starting families, he was lonely and by himself. And perhaps he asked, why? Why, God? Why did you allow me to be blind? And so we know the disciples, they looked back and they asked God, why? Why was this man born blind? And the blind man, very likely, he looked back and he asked God, why? Why did you allow me to be blind? And we often do the same thing. When trials and when difficulty and confusing times come into our lives, we look back and we ask God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? But Jesus, Jesus sees things differently. And rather than looking back to the cause of the trial. Jesus looks forward to the purpose of the trial. Look back at verse 3 with me. Jesus' response to the question, why was this man born blind? Was it the sin of his parents or his own sin? In verse 3 it says, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. It's not that he sinned. It's not that his parents sinned that he became blind. The the reason that he is blind is so that the work of God could be displayed in his life. The disciples and probably the blind man, they look back and they ask why. But Jesus, he looks forward to the purpose of the trial." And says it's happened so the work of God could be displayed in his life. See, it was was all those years of trial and pain and torment and confusion and loneliness by the blind man that prepared his heart for this day to encounter Jesus, the Son of the living God, to show him his need for a Savior so that the work of God could be displayed in his life as God heals not only his eyes, but his heart as well. And and I have to think that throughout the years, the blind man thought all of this pain and all of this suffering, it's meaningless and it's worthless, but it wasn't. See, the whole time, every second of his pain and every second of his suffering, it was doing something. It was preparing his heart for something greater. It was showing him his need for a Savior and allowing the work of God to be displayed in his life. See, it was his his greatest struggle, his greatest why of life that led to his greatest joy and his deepest experience in Jesus. And really the same could be true, the same could be said of Jesus Christ himself, right? His greatest trial. It was his greatest trial enduring the cross that led to his greatest act of humanity, the resurrection. He suffered so deeply and so severely, but it resulted in this incredible great act for mankind, the resurrection. Now ask, ask one day when you get to heaven, find the blind man and find Jesus and ask them, was the suffering, was the years of suffering for the blind man and, and, and was all of that pain and torment and torture for, for Jesus, was the suffering worth it? And without hesitation, I have no doubt that they will say yes. Yes. It was worth it. Every second of the suffering was worth the glory of God and his work displayed in my life. It kind of reminds me uh, of when I was uh, 16 years old and um, I had a lot of great things going for me. And, and really I had, uh, I had a lot of the, the great things the world had to offer. And and I was pretty proud of it, actually. Um, I was blessed with a good family, although my parents were divorced. um, I still had a great relationship with both of them and saw them often. Uh, I had a lot of good friends. Um, I did well in school. Uh, I started on my high school football team. I was dating the captain of the cheerleading squad, all right? I had all these great things going for me. And like I said, I I was pretty pretty proud about it, and I had life under control. You know what I mean? And then within a matter of just a few weeks, my dad took a job a thousand miles away and moved away. I lost my starting position on my high school football team, and my girlfriend very unexpectedly broke up with me. I mean, it was, it was hard. Like, all I wanted to do was lay in my bed and listen to Air Supply, Chicago, and REO Speedwagon. You know what I'm saying? Thankfully, my ex-girlfriend had made me a mixtape that had all three of those on there, so I could just put one tape in and hit play and lay in bed and listen to them all day. But seriously, though, it it was overwhelming and it was hard. And at that time in my life, it was the hardest thing that I had ever been through. All of these things that I had put my trust in kind of crashed in on me all at once. And I was broken and I was hurting. And even though I wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ at that time, I remember asking God, why? Why would you allow me to experience all of this hurt and all of this pain and all of this suffering, especially all at once? It seemed so worthless and it seemed so meaningless. But then what I have realized later looking back is that God was doing something. God was at work in my heart. God was allowing me to lose all of the things in my life that I was trusting in him to reveal to me that I indeed was a blind beggar in need of a savior. And just a few weeks after all of that happened, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I saw my sin and my need for a savior, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ And it was at that moment that I experienced new joy and new hope and new purpose and new peace that was greater than anything I had ever experienced in my life before. And in the next year, man, by the grace of God, I had the opportunity to lead my mom to Christ, to share Christ with my brother, to share Christ with so many of my friends, to see a lot of my friends come to Christ. It was absolutely incredible. And I look back. And I think, was the pain and the suffering worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, it wasn't worthless. It wasn't meaningless. God was was doing something. He was preparing something in my heart to show me my need for Jesus and to allow his works to be displayed in my life. And so... When we go through trials, when we go through difficult times, we need not look back and ask God why. But instead, we can simply trust that God is allowing this thing to happen so that the work of God can be displayed in our lives. Rather than asking why, perhaps we should ask a different question. We should ask God how. How, God, how can you use this trial? How can you use this confusing time for your glory and for my good and for my joy? Now, God may choose to deliver you miraculously from your circumstances to display his work in your life like he did the blind man. But on the other hand, we must realize that God may also, like Paul, choose to allow the thorn to remain in our flesh and to say to us, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made strong in your weakness. And He may choose to display His work in your life instead of delivering you by sustaining you through the trial. That you're working through. Now, we may not understand in, in our minds why God would choose the second path. And it's usually not the path we would choose for ourselves, but we must trust the, the wisdom and the promises of God that, that He is working, that He is doing something, that not one moment of our suffering is meaningless. Church, don't believe the lie that the suffering is worthless and that it's meaningless. God's doing something in it, in his plan. He's preparing something in your heart for his good, for your joy, for his glory. Don't believe the lie that it's worthless and that it's meaningless. God is working. He's doing something. And you can trust in him. And in those darkest moments, in that darkest hour of pain and hurt and loneliness and confusion, we can cry out like Job, though you slay me, though you slay me, God, still I will trust you, for you are good, you are loving, you are with me, and you are enough. Would you pray with me Father, there there are a lot of things that we we don't understand. There are a lot of things, God, that we would never choose for ourselves. But we're thankful, God, that, that what you are most concerned about is not our comfort and is not our ease, but is our holiness and is our righteousness and is your glory. And God, in your great and mighty knowledge and wisdom, you allow trials to come into our lives to help us to see our true needs, to prepare our hearts for greatest things, to work in us for your glory, for our good, and even for the good of others. So I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, some no doubt suffering so severely in this moment because of circumstances. Lord, may we never fall to the lie that our suffering is meaningless or worthless or that you don't care or that you're not there or that you don't listen. But Lord, may we trust and believe that this is happening so that your work can be displayed in our life for your glory and for our good. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we love you here at Baylife Church. We're thankful that you're here this morning to worship. Next week, Pastor Mark will be returning and we'll start a new series. Uh, you are loved. Have a great week.